Hey, thanks for checking out this sermon. It's designed to help you take your next step with Jesus. And if you haven't been able to make it to one of our campuses and participate in the time of giving, you could do so online through our website or by texting to give so that you can continue to participate in the mission that God has given us. We hope that God speaks to you through this sermon. 1 Corinthians 13. And now I will show you the most excellent way. If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind, it doesn't envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud. It doesn't dishonor others, it's not self-seeking. It's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love doesn't delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it'll pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. When I was a child, I talked like a child. I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part. Then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. This is the word of the Lord. Well, odds are the last time you heard 1 Corinthians was at a wedding, which is fine. It's just that that's not what was on Paul's mind when he wrote this chapter, which is the best description of Christ's personality found anywhere in the Bible. It's the best description of love. Paul writes it even though he wasn't always a loving person. Paul was a a changed person. Early on, he was a very mean person, uh, extremely, extremely religious. And when you put religion together with meanness, that is not a good combination. Uh, he was known as Saul of Tarsus, an up-and-coming religious leader, and his Jewish faith gave him license to abuse and arrest and even kill Christ's followers. He lived in Jerusalem, uh, where he made life very hard for the Christians there, but that didn't seem to be enough for him. He sought permission to take armed escort 160 miles north to Damascus, and it's on this trip that Saul encountered the love of Christ. We'll call it tough love. Just outside of town, a blinding light hit the caravan. He was knocked from his horse. He couldn't see. He heard a voice, Saul, why are you persecuting me? 
Who are you? I'm Jesus, whom you're attacking. Saul was a mess. Blinded, he had to be led into the city and put to bed. The Holy Spirit spoke to a Christian in, in Damascus and, uh, and who came to heal Saul's eyes and to talk to him about Jesus, the Messiah. Saul converted and was baptized, receiving Christ's pure love and forgiveness, repenting of what he had done to who were now his brothers and sisters in Christ. His conversion is dramatic, as dramatic as any conversion in the whole New Testament. Saul went back through the entire Old Testament, scriptures he knew by heart, the God he once viewed as angry, just, unknowable, revealed himself as exactly the opposite of unknowable, a gracious father who seeks to adopt sons and daughters, loving them unconditionally, forgiving them completely for their past. Saul was a new person, changing so radically, he refused to be known from then on as Saul of Tarsus. From then on, he was Paul, years later known as the Apostle Paul, the great missionary to the Roman Empire, spreading the news about Jesus, the physical manifestation of God's love. Now, last weekend, we were in Bethlehem with Mary and Joseph and Jesus. Uh, now we move to, to Corinth with Paul, clear across the empire. You can read more about his first visit there to Corinth in Acts chapter 18, where he first meets Priscilla and Aquila, who became his lifetime friends. They were from Rome, but Caesar had booted all the Jews out of the capital, so they settled in Corinth, where they were tent makers like Paul. Corinth was a crazy place, a sinful city. Uh, it was the Amsterdam of the empire. There was a well-known cliche that if you had gone off the deep end and started just living in complete and total abandon and immorality, people would say about you that you were living like a Corinthian. Paul came to this city with, with the love of Christ, uh, the city where the goddess uh, of Corinth was Aphrodite herself, the goddess of love. Her temple was the top, at the top of the Acrocorinth, the high plateau just outside of the city where a thousand priestly prostitutes were glad to take your money night or day. Paul came to Corinth with a gospel of a different love. The Corinthians knew all about eros, erotic love, but they knew nothing of agape, the love of God. The Greek language is so much more um, complex when it comes to the word love. In English, we just have this word. We use it for everything. We love our mother, and we love Taco Tuesday. <laughs> and we use the very same word. That's kind of insulting to mom, don't you think? Why don't we have different words for these different feelings? In Greek, there are several words for love. If you're talking about romantic love, you use one word. If you're talking about a love that a family has for each other, you use a completely different word. In 1 Corinthians, Paul uses the word agape, the perfect love of God, the selfless, unconditional manifestation of God in Jesus. Now, when Paul first came to Corinth, he regularly attended synagogue. That was what he did. He was Jewish, uh, and he spent his time attempting to persuade his Jewish brothers and sisters that Jesus was their uh, Messiah and that Jesus was God. Now, some of the Jews believed, even one of their temple leaders, and they were baptized, but then some of them didn't believe, and they became antagonistic and even abusive to the Paul to the point that he quit going to synagogue. 
And he moved next door and led Bible studies in a friend's house. One night in Corinth, uh, the, uh, the, 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 Jesus himself appeared to Paul and said to him, hey, Paul, don't be afraid of anything. I want you to be bold. I've got a lot of followers and potential followers in this city. A promise Paul relied heavily on when the Jews uh, sued him, accusing him of promoting an illegal religion and drug him into court. But the Roman proconsul, Gallio, uh, ruled in Paul's favor, telling Paul's accusers that this was a religious matter that they should have solved in-house. Well, this divided the Jews so much that they, they failed to call, cause Paul any further grief. Just like Jesus had told him, he was safe in Corinth. He stayed there a year and a half, leading the church. For the rest of the life, Paul had a, a special place in his heart for these Corinthians. Not because they were easy to love. And not because they were easy to lead. All you have to do is read First and Second Corinthians and, and, and to get a feel for their many, many flaws and factions and even sinful behavior within the church. If we were to make a list of some of the things Paul had to address, it would look something like this. Hey, stop arguing with each other about which famous Christian leader is best. And don't be so arrogant. You're not as smart as you think you are. You're not as talented as you think you are. And also, you know what? Christ followers don't also worship idols. Stop suing other Christians in the Roman court. Stop coming drunk to communion. But, and also, you're offending your younger brothers and sisters with all of the liberties that you take. Tighten it up in your church. And your worship services, crazy, much too chaotic. Tell the Pentecostals to stop showing off. Stop acting like babies, he said. Grow up and kick that guy out who's sleeping with his mother-in-law. All of these corrections can be found just in 1 Corinthians. Paul also wrote 2 Corinthians with additional scolding. And most New Testament scholars believe that, that, that we had one or two more letters to the Corinthians, which we have lost. In comparison, the church at Ephesus gets six chapters, and that takes care of everything. Philippians, four chapters. Corinthians has 29 chapters that we know about, plus the chapters we lost. So it shouldn't be any surprise to us when Paul just takes a breather after chapter 12 and, 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 and talks about love. Now, right before the love chapter in chapter 12, he's talking about the spiritual giftings that God has gifted us with and that we should be meshing together like a body, depending on one another and appreciating and valuing each other's gifts. But that doesn't seem to be what's happening in Corinth. So he just stops at the end of uh, chapter 12 and he says, you know what? I'm gonna show you a more excellent way to use your gifts. Because you could be extremely gifted. There are some of you that are great public speakers, uh, but even if your speech is, is eloquent and polished, not only using Earth's many language, but even, you know, you just sound angelic when you speak. If you don't love each other, your words are nothing more than clanging gongs and crashing cymbals. Now, Paul's mention of loud gongs and, and, and loud cymbals would not be lost on the Corinthians, whose huge pagan uh, temple high on the plateau was the noisiest place for miles, 24-7. When you climbed the 1,000 steps to the, the top of the Acrocorinth and entered Aphrodite's temple at any time, night or day, you picked up the mallet and banged the gong, as if to say, we're here. 
Then the priestesses would come out to, 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 to lead you in a religious procession, handing you symbols to clash together loudly, uh, making as not much noise as possible as if to tell everyone who could hear, we're worshiping Aphrodite and we're feeling the love. Paul says when Christians make a lot of noise, whether it is worship or when someone stands to deliver a long or noisy speech, if they do all this without God's love in their hearts, it's just a bunch of noise. They are just clanging Christians, always babbling on, softly or not so subtly, uh, drawing attention to themselves, working hard to impress. Paul would respond, if you don't love the people you're talking to, you might want to pipe down. If you tend to dominate conversations, chances are too many of your words are about yourself, especially if you've mastered the humble brag. Paul would say, what you say, and even how well you say it, is not half as important as why you said it. You can speak eloquently, you can appear to be extremely wise, but if your polished presentation is not motivated by love, it's all hot air. And if Paul were alive today, I'm sure he would talk to us about social media. I think he'd say, hey, I noticed some of you put a lot of effort into those Facebook posts, those Instagram posts. You're really working hard on those. Uh, and you, you you've, you've even opened up and authored a, a, a popular blog with great artwork, and it's really cool, but it doesn't seem that your motivation is as much love as it is to, you know, just impress. Paul says, this is an empty pursuit for Christians. Paul would even say, you know, you could work on your public speaking uh, ability. You could, you could become a sought-after speaker or, or a teacher in a, in a classroom where uh, you're gifted in breaking things down so people can understand the facts, but it's not about the facts. If you lack love for your students... You're just rattling off information for them to memorize and then forget. You know, I was thinking about this and remembering uh, my hardest year in elementary school was fifth grade. And uh, it was because of the teacher, Mrs. Givens. I'll never forget her. Uh, as a matter of fact, when I saw the Wizard of Oz, I, 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 I met Mrs. <laughs> Givens. She would say she was strict. We would just say, she didn't like us. Oh, she liked, there were a couple of girls she really liked a lot, favoring them. But the rest of us, she would figure out your faults and then pick at you in front of the class, uh, not hesitating at all to embarrass you in order to get you to behave yourself. Hmm. I don't remember anything Mrs. Givens taught me except keep your head down, keep your mouth shut, and get through it which I guess is a valuable lesson, but I think there was some other stuff we were supposed to have learned in fifth grade. <laughs> Explains a lot about me, doesn't it? <laughs> I remember getting to the end of the fifth grade and being so glad when it was over, and then right near the end of fifth grade, rumor was that she was moving up to sixth grade. <laughs> but then my family moved across town. Went to a different school, went in my first day of sixth grade, happy as I could be, only to see that she also had moved to our school, and she was going to be my sixth grade teacher. True story. Two years of being taught by someone who didn't love me. Now, the opposite to Mrs. Givens was my Sunday school teacher, 
Mrs. Lady. That's really her name, Mrs. Lady. And we would tease her about her name, and she goes, yeah, and I'm going to call you Mr. Boy. Uh, but she was awesome, and we knew she loved us. Uh, even when we promoted to the next grade, she would just promote herself with us. Uh, we found out later it was because none of the other Sunday school teachers wanted me and my buddies, but uh, <laughs> pastor's kids being what they are. But she was awesome. Where other Sunday school teachers would bribe you with gifts to the treasure box if you, if you said the scripture memorized perfectly in King James English, she could care less. She brought banana bread for the whole class and just waited till that opening exercises was over and we all went into the class. She would open up her picnic basket and there'd be warm banana bread and fresh butter and cold milk in her thermos. And we would sit there and she'd give it to everybody whether you knew the scripture or not. She didn't love us for our behavior. She loved us because she loved us. I'd learned so much about Jesus from this woman who had us literally eating from the palm of her hands as she told us stories about Jesus Christ. All right, back to Paul. Verse two, already. Paul says, listen, you could have prophetic gifting. You could understand all of God's secret plans. You could possess all knowledge. But if you didn't love people, you're actually doing damage. You could be the Christian who speaks prophetically into people's lives with the wrong tone. If you don't love the people that you're, you're, you're giving your wisdom to, you're no better than the prophet Jonah. Remember Jonah? Hated his audience so much that he tried to flee. God brought him back. Fish barfed him up on the beach. He had nothing, nothing he could do but go and preach to those people that he hated. And then when God saved him, he was mad at God. He had a prophetic gifting. He really did. But he had no love. Hmm. Now, maybe you don't view yourself as a prophet, but maybe you are someone that people flock to for advice. Maybe you're that person in your company that always seems to find a solution and help everyone come together and visualize it. They, they say that about you. How is it you always find the way we should go? Paul would say, even having that gift requires you to show love because without love for your coworkers, without love for your customers, it soon becomes all about you. You'll use your, your knowledge You'll use your insight only to your own advantage. Great talkers are the same. A great talker masters the art of swaying people and even getting them to do what they want them to do. But if you don't love your audience, you, you, you very quickly become a manipulator. Love, however, always does what's best for the group and serves the group. Paul goes on. I, I, you can have great faith, epic faith, Faith that could move mountains. You could develop this, 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 this ability where people would just line up to see the next thing you're going to accomplish with your prayer life. People could come to you and, and even start calling you a prayer warrior, believing that your prayers will get results. That's great. As long as you love those people, pray for them all the time. But be careful. The more people view, view you as a spiritual giant and tell you that, you'll start believing it soon becomes more about you than it is about them. It's not long before you start seeing yourself as, you know, I'm kind of a big deal spiritually around here. I, I, I'm, you know, I'm kind of an unofficial elder, a pillar uh, uh, of the place. 
and your motivation shifts from them receiving to your, your love to you receiving their attention and approval. I've learned this from the hard way. And that it's better to just love people than to try to impress them. The funny thing is people are actually helped more when they see you fail. When they watch you struggle and then see how you handle that than they ever learn from your intimidating uh, so-called spiritually mature uh, answers for everything. It's no coincidence that the final verse of this chapter says, faith is great, but love is greater. And any effort outside of love is wasted effort. Verse three, you could be generous with the poor and still not love them. You could be generous to a fault but actually have the motivation of drawing unhealthy attention to yourself. Or Paul says, you could sacrifice more than money. You could sacrifice your whole life, your career. You could, you could burn yourself out for social justice, for, for any good cause for that matter. But you could do that without love for people. You could actually be doing it uh, to enhance your own image as being such a, such a wonderful person. Friends, I just say that if anyone admires you for what you have given up for God or for others, Watch out and remember that that admiration can be a trap for your ego because it becomes very easy for you to start comparing yourselves to others and start even maybe getting a little angry at them for, for what they're not doing as much as, as you do. All those selfish people out there ought to do more. Soon you look like that guy at the, at the, the football game who's, who's turning around to everybody and looking at them and, hey, man, get up, you know, come on, why aren't you cheering for the team? And, and you know, he took his eyes off the game a few minutes ago. He's been watching you and you're just sitting there enjoying yourself. You're not being part of the team. Come on. We see this sometimes in church with people who view themselves as working so hard, starting to resent the people around them. They stop loving people. So Paul writes this whole letter to the Corinthian church uh, to get them back on track. He goes to a lot of effort with these clangy Corinthians uh, and all because he loves them. He has no other motivation and he wants them to love each other. So in this chapter, Paul is going to dissect the agape love of God for us, which I appreciate because it was Jesus who said, here's what I want you to do. I want you to love God with everything you are. And we go, okay. And he goes, and I want you to love everybody as you love yourself. And we were, we're like, yeah, how are you gonna do that? Then Paul comes and he writes, he just gives us descriptive words, leaving us the anatomy of love. So I'm grateful to Paul for making it so practical, so specific in the verses of head because, ahead because I, I have found that as much as I want to obey Jesus, my words and my actions often reveal my old selfish self. Uh, I can say the right things, but then I turn around and I can be as impatient, as unkind as the next guy. I can easily become boastful and proud and self-seeking and easily provoked. Sometimes, even though I received Christ long ago, it's as if I didn't completely receive his, his character, his his person into himself. I've still held on to many things that Paul would say are of the flesh. Paul says, this is what we're going to try to change in 1 Corinthians 13, the flesh. Because all that we're good at and anything we might do that might impress someone else only impresses God if it's done in love. 
Paul's gonna talk to us about our motivations. And now he's always gonna encourage you to use your gifts and develop them, but as you excel in those gifts, you also must excel in love so that as you become proficient in what you are good at, you also know what to do with the applause that comes. The greater the gifts you have, the greater the need for you to learn to love because why you do something well is more important than what it is you did. God doesn't value talent as much as he values love. So as we study this love chapter, I want to encourage you to fight the urge to view this as self-improvement. The worst thing you could do next week is when, when, when uh, uh, Pastor Steve Engel comes up and, say, and teaches us, love is patient, for you to say, that's great, that'll be my New Year's resolution. I'm going to make it my resolution to become more patient starting now. That's going to work for you until sometime mid-February when someone's been pushing your buttons too much. Uh, Don't view this series as you working on you or making yourself a nicer person. It's so much deeper than that. It's so much harder than that. You'll miss the point if you read love's description here and then set out to make yourself all of those things because what you'll discover is all what Paul is doing here is he's giving you the nature and personality of Christ in one chapter of the Bible. The love we're talking about is the personality of Christ, and you can't set out to make yourself like Christ. We're talking about agape, the very essence of God. And agape love is not learned from lectures. Agape as love is learned by receiving agape love. It's not developed by Christian discipline. It's developed by opening up and letting God love you for no reason, no logical reason, except that he just loves you. Like the Apostle John will later write in 1 John chapter 4, the other great love chapter of the Bible, love comes from God, not from us. God is love. He exists as love. His love is made complete in us. He completes his love with with us being the object of it. And the only reason we're able to love is because he first loved us. Now, as I thought about some of you knowing your stories, I imagine this series is gonna be more difficult for you than you think it's going to be. So I want to warn you, especially those of you who have never received constant or unearned love from another person. If your life hasn't included someone who loves you deeply, then when I tell you that God loves you deeply, you're not necessarily gonna trust it. If your life hasn't included someone who's loved you unconditionally forever, you you might struggle to receive unconditional love from Christ or from Christians. I talked to a woman the other day, and she said, honestly, Steve, as you've been talking to me about what we're gonna be dealing with here, I'll just have to tell you, I don't think anyone has ever loved me unconditionally. I don't know what that feels like. And I was just shocked. I said, are you kidding me? What about your parents? She says, oh no, there are always strings attached. I said, what about your husband? She says, you mean my ex? He left me for another woman. There's a young man in our church who, who, if it wasn't for his Cornerstone family, he would not have a family. They're all out there, ignoring him. 
And I know for a fact that he trusts, he, he struggles to trust us, that someday we're going to uh, abandon him. I, 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 I talked to a man last night who, who said, well, my ex, I meet her in court all the time, fighting her so that I can hang out with my own children. He says, we've had 50 court dates to this point. He says, I keep winning because her case against me is crazy, but it doesn't stop her from slandering me out there and turn, trying to turn the kids against me. The other day, she told the kids that she had never loved me, and they actually didn't love me either. I talked to a woman in our church who said, yeah, you know, my family, we used to have these great family gatherings, and then I got on the outs, and the entire family unfriended me. I can still see what they're doing on Facebook, but they have these gatherings and I'm the only one not invited and not included. This series will be a bit difficult for her because she's going to have to receive healing from the one who calls himself the great counselor, the one who says he is the the, the great physician. And you may have had similar experiences to this. And if so, I believe God has brought this New Year series to you but you're going to fight coming because it's not necessarily going to feel comfortable. The Holy Spirit, as we're talking, might be kind of probing those areas that are still very painful, those old wounds that are still infected, those bones that didn't set right because he wants to fix that and he's the only one who can. His motivation is to love you unconditionally and to turn you in to an unconditional lover of someone else. Not just that you'll love him back, so that you'll love everyone else back. I encourage you, even if it hurts, to press into healing starting now. But I want to pray for you as we open this series. As a matter of fact, why don't you bow your heads? I rarely do this sort of thing. But I'm going to have you bow your heads and, and really ask no one to be looking around um, so that people can respond to me privately. Is there anyone in this room that would say, I don't think I've ever been loved unconditionally by another person? Who are you? Raise your hand. Hmm. Is there anyone who would say, yeah, I've had that happen where someone who said they love me and that they would be committed to me forever now says they don't love me and they've abandoned me. Raise your hand. That breaks my heart. That's awful. Is there anyone that would say, I think I struggle to love other people because I have trust issues because of how I've been treated by others? Who would say, I think I struggle to receive God's unconditional love for these very same reasons. I'm always trying to earn it. Or I think I'm never going to get there. Hmm. All right, church, let's pray. Holy Spirit, you call yourself a physician. You call yourself a helper, a friend, a counselor. I pray healing on this congregation as you will undoubtedly touch our pain during this series. That it wouldn't be just 
another church experience where we where we're reminded of our inadequacies or our past or things that we really didn't want to think about. But instead, Lord, as you put us on that operating table that uh, we understand that this isn't going to be simple or easy. It's heart surgery. But Lord, let your love be the anesthesia. Take as much of the pain away as quickly as you can. Jesus, we thank you for suffering for us so that when we suffer, we know you know how it feels. Father, I pray that during this series, you would provide great healing for people around the topic of what true love looks like and what it really is. God, help us all to open up and receive your love and not shame ourselves for our inadequacies and and our failure to come through for other people at times. Help us to forgive ourselves and just receive so much of your love that then when we're bumped, that's what sloshes out your love for other people even people that we really struggle to love we pray for story after story of healing during this series and we ask these things in the precious name of Jesus and all God's people said we sing, I want to say this. I have a a, a sense of anticipation about the series I haven't had for a long time. I think that every weekend, God's going to be doing therapy in these rooms and online as you're watching on all of our campuses, in the prisons. I'm going to ask you to remain in prayer. I'm going to ask you to be extra loving when we gather. Yeah.